Chapter 19 of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19 Do Dem Row. When I gave Uncle Corney, as I was bound to do, a full account of that day's work, he was mightily pleased and clapped me on the back for having spoken so plainly to that haughty woman. But now you must make up your mind, he said to have the door slammed in your face if ever you attempt to get a glimpse of your sweetheart there. Poor thing, what a time of it she will have. What puts my back up is to think that her own father lets her be knocked about like that. She never tells him, you think, because it would only get him into trouble and do her no good. Well, she is a noble girl, if that is the case, but he must know how she is treated, as I told you in fifty other ways. "'badly dressed, half-starved, or at any rate fed on rice and suet pudding, "'and kept in the schoolroom away from the others. "'How was she dressed now? What clothes had she on?' "'I answered that I really did not know, and this was the truth, "'though I blame myself for it. "'When first she began to be so much to me, "'I had noticed how neat and becoming her cloak was, "'and her hat and her little tender muff, "'which held a still tenderer pair of hands.' but now that she was all the world to me and more, I seemed to have no sense of her apparel, but to be filled with herself alone, as if her existence came into mine. I did not tell him that because he would have cried, Stuff! But he understood my meaning so far as to tell me of a case he had known some years ago. A friend of his had married a lovely girl, who had not a penny to bless herself with, and he was most deeply attached to her, but although he was very well off for money, and not at all of a stingy turn, for a long time it never came into his head that his wife had only two gowns, two bonnets, and one cloak. She was too proud to ask him for money, and instead of doing that, went on and on, wearing out all her poor things, until they were scarcely fit to be looked at. And many bitter tears she shed, as she darned and patched and let pieces in, convinced more and more as the light shone through that her husband must hate her to keep her like that, and perhaps it would have ended in the ruin of them both, for some villain was making love to her when, luckily a sister of his, came to see them and scolded him roundly for his blind neglect. "'Why, bless her heart!' he cried, opening his eyes. "'I never see Mary's clothes. I see Mary. Now mind you're not such a jackanapes as that.' My uncle drew the moral as he rubbed his hands, for he loved to have his stories laughed at. When you have got your kitty, and I don't see why you should not, be sure that you praise her dresses and bonnets, not quite so much, perhaps, as you praise herself, but still every time you can think of it. Women like that sort of thing, somehow. I can hardly tell you why, for if any man praised my coat or my hat, I should be vexed with him unless it was to say that I had got them dirt cheap. But perhaps the reason is that a woman's clothes are a part of her mind and her body, too, a sort of another self to her. How on earth do you know such a lot about women? I asked, though I thought that he did not know much. One would think that you had been married for forty years. What woman could have taught you all these things? Mind your own business, my uncle answered sharply. You will have quite enough to do with that, as things appear at present. You have made play with this pretty girl, and you have booked your place with her father. Also you have got over me, who have meant to have nothing to do with it, 
and you have given that hateful woman a Roland for her Oliver. But I will go bail that you have no idea whose shoulders will bear the brunt of it. Who should you say was the trump card now? The learned professor, I replied. The man who could kill that woman with a wire, if he were not so magnanimous. The man who knows everything in this world except how to manage his own household. He will stand up for me, and I shall win. So you shall, my boy. You are quite right there. But it won't be done through him, I can tell you, or you would have a precious time to wait. It shall be done through a small market gardener, as she had the cheek to call me, and she may grind her teeth and slap her husband. Very few people know what I am, because I don't care what they think of me. But I see the proper thing to do, and I mean to begin tomorrow. Now go to bed and dream as you do all day. You'll be no good to me till you've had too much of Kitty. Being weary in body and mind, I slept until Tabby called out that the breakfast was ready. For this I expected to be well upbraided, as my uncle was always afoot with the sun. But to my surprise he was not come home, and I kept his rasher hot for him. At last he came in, and sat down without a word beyond his short, Good morning, Kit, and his appetite was fine and his face almost cheerful though his gray curls appeared a little grimy, and his coat had a smell more peculiar than pleasant. "'Shall have to go under the pump again,' he said as he pushed away his plate. "'That won't matter now until dinner-time. That twitch does make such a sticky smoke, with the sow thistles whelmed down over it. But the wind was the right way, and took it very level. Bless my soul, how he did cough, and how he ran from one room to another!' "'Twas enough to kill American blight, almost, "'let alone what they call a human. "'But it's high time to rouse him up again, my lad. "'Bring one of them runner sticks and lend a hand. "'If he don't bolt by dinner-time, we'll try a little sulphur. "'I would have done it sooner, "'if it had not been for the Dutch honeysuckle and blue creeper. "'Wondering what this device could be, "'I took a kidney-bean stick and followed him. "'He marched a great pace with a pitchfork on his shoulder.' down a long alley of pears and apples, on which, though the leaves hung very late from the wetness of the season, the chill air of some frosty mornings had breathed diverse colors. Then we came into an open break, which I had helped to plant with potatoes in the spring, and here were a score of bonfires burning, or rather smoking furiously. Beyond them was Honeysuckle Cottage, belonging to my uncle, and standing at the north end of his grounds against a lane which led to Hanworth. This cottage had five windows facing us, and receiving the volleys of foul gray smoke as a smart southwest wind drove it, and the fires being piled with diseased potato home, of which there was abundance in that bad year, as well as bottomed with twitch grass, bethwine, cat's tail, and fifty other kinds of weed, and still more noxious refuse. The reek was more than any nose could stand when even a mild puff strayed towards us, but the main and solid mass was rushing in a flood of embodied stench straight into the windows of that peaceful cot, penetrating sash and frame and lining. Once or twice as the cloud whisked before the wind, we seemed to catch a brief glimpse of some agitated mortal holding up his hands in supplication or wringing them and applying them in anguish to his nose. "'Pile on some more, Bill, and stir them up again,' shouted Uncle Corny, with his pitchfork swinging in the thick of it. 
agricultural operations must not be suspended to suit the caprice of individuals, as the county court judge said when Noakes tried to stop me from carting manure near his parlor window. If old Harker won't hearken, well, make him sniff, eh? See the joke, Selsey Bill? Selsey Bill saw it after deep reflection and shook his long sides with a longer guffaw. If I don't sniff of this, I must have square nostrils. He was wheezing himself as he chopped in another great dollop of rottenness and stirred it. I can never abide it at two minutes, though the Lord hathn't made me too particular. Sure us'll fetch him out this time, Master. Here cometh, here cometh, looky see. Following his point, we descried the little man timidly opening the cottage door and apparently testing the smells outside to compare them with those he was quitting. He glanced at the bonfires and shook his fist wildly, then threw his skirt over his head and made off as if he smelled quite enough of this world. Run and get the key, Bill, my uncle cried as soon as he could speak for laughing. Lock the door and bring the key to me. We'll send for the fire engine by and by and wash down the front and then put your wife in, and scrub the whole place out. Beat abroad the fires, men, and throw some earth on them. That's what I call something like ejectment. The old rogue has paid no rent since Lady Day, though he had a dirt cheap at three and six a week, and me to pay the rates and taxes. Come, you shall have a pint of beer all round, and I'm sure you want something to take the taste out. As we went home to have a good wash and change our coats, I learned all the meaning of this strong measure and felt no more pity for the tenant evicted. He had occupied this cottage for some seven years now, and although he lived so close to us and on our land, scarcely any one had exchanged ten words with him. He was of a morose and silent nature, living all alone though he had some money and never going out of doors when he could help it. His name was Ben Harker, and throughout the village his nickname was Old Arkerate, for when anything was said to him that he could pick a hole in, if it were only a remark about the weather, he would always say, No, that isn't Arkerate. It was said that he had lost a considerable fortune before he came to Sunbury, by some inaccuracy in the will, or title deeds, and thence he had taken to challenge the correctness of even the most trivial statement. My uncle had been longing for months to recover possession of his own premises, but old Harker took advantage of the obstacles richly provided by English law in such a case, and swore he would never go out without a lawsuit, but he had never spent a halfpenny on repairs, though he had it so cheap through his promises, and by his own default he was thus smoked out, and the key was in the landlord's pocket. Mrs. Selsey Bill, a mother of seventeen living children, was very fat and stumpy, as behooves a giant's wife, and was blessed with a cold in her head just now which redeemed all her system from prejudice. The greatest philosophers assure us that all things, if there be anything, are good or bad, simply as we color them in our own minds, that is to say, if we have minds, and to Mrs. Bill Tompkins the stench of that house was as sweet as the perfumes of Araby. She flung up the windows from the force of habit and not from the aesthetic preference, and she scrubbed away with soda and fuller's earth, and soft soap, and bristle, and cocoa fiber. And the next day, as soon as we had finished dinner, which we never left for nightfall, as if it were a burglary, my uncle said, Let us go and see how that place looks, after old Arkerate has cut and run. When we got there, fat little Mrs. Tompkins was scrubbing almost as hard as ever, 
It is quite wrong to talk as if fat people cannot work. Many of them can, and can even carry on. By drawing on their own resources, when a lean person having hollow places down her begins to pant and has no stuff to fill them out. She drew her breath a little as she got up from the bucket, but neither of her hands went to her waist because there was no such place to go. She had three of the young ones strapped down on the floor of the room she had not yet grappled with, for her husband was of an ingenious mind, and necessity had taught him invention. Mrs. Selsey Bill stood up and faced us. She thought that we were come to say she had not done enough. Honorable gents, she began with the lead as women love to do, it don't look much, and you might think you got the worst of one and ninepence for a day, with the days going on for dusk at five o'clock. But when you has to find your own soap and flannels— I think you have done wonders, Mrs. Tompkins, my uncle made answer with his pleasant smile. If I only got the best of every bargain like this, I need never be out of elbows, ma'am. Why, the stairs are as white as a scraped horseradish. May we go up and see the view from the best bedroom? Not if it will upset any of your clever doings. You are the mistress now, and we take your orders. With a laugh which challenged our criticism, for no man except a sailor knows the rudiments of scrubbing, she loosed for us a cord which she had tied across, lest any Selsey baby might break bonds and crawl upstairs, and presently we stood in a pretty little bedroom, with an ample but rickety window facing southwards. The room was not too lofty, and I might have knocked my hat against the ceiling if I had not doffed it, but Uncle Corney, being not so tall though wider, had plenty of headroom, and asked what man could want more, and when I looked out of the window I agreed that a man deserved less who could not be pleased with this, for Honeysuckle Cottage stood at the very highest corner of all his pleasant fruit grounds, and I was much surprised, having never been inside this house before, at the rich view of gardening ever varied, and the fair land and water beyond the fruit alleys which shone in the soft spread of sunshine far away, over the heads of countless trees and betwixt their coats of many colors, matched by the motherly hands of autumn, the broad reaches of the flooded Thames, with many a bend of sheen and shadow, led the eye to dwell with pleasure and the heart with wonder, and across the wide water sloping meadows, streaked and rounded with hedge and breastland, spread a green footing for the dark and distant hills. Let me see, today is Friday. An unlucky day, Kit, for you to come first to the house. If I had thought of that, we might have waited for tomorrow. But it can't be helped now, and I am not superstitious. On Monday I'll have Joe and Jimmy Andrews in and put all these window frames and doors to rights, and then we'll have Tilbury from the Hampton, to see to the papering and painting and all that. By the end of the week we'll have it snug and tidy. I have sent old Harker's traps after him today. They'll tell me he has taken that tumble-down barn of Osborne's over by Halliford. I suppose I may whistle for my back rents. I ought to have distrained upon his sticks. But I laughed so when I saw how he bolted that I couldn't do it. But you'll have to pay an improved rent, my lad. You can't have it under five shillings a week, and cheap enough at that, I can tell you. Why, what do you mean? I asked. I don't want a house, and if I did, how am I to keep it up? I haven't got a sixpence to call my own. Then a pretty fellow you are to make up to Captain Fairthorne's daughter. Where did you intend to put her, I should like to know? 
but we'll make that all right between you and me and the bedpost. I've got a little nest egg of your mother's money for you, and a heel tap of your father's. Didn't you know why I smoked that old rogue out? Why, that this might be a little home for Kit and Kitty. End of chapter 19